My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless Podcast. Super excited that you're part of the tribe. Remember, you can connect with us online on Twitter, use the hashtag Legally Clueless, and on Instagram, we're at Legally Clueless Podcast. Audio episodes go out every Monday, and on our video series, we have season one that's ongoing, which you can check out on our YouTube channel. New episodes go out there every Friday morning. Ooh, don't forget, links to both our YouTube channel and our Insta page are in the show notes. So this episode features part two of Valentine's story. Of course, part one was in episode 118. And it's quite a heavy story, hence the reason I split it up. In this second part, themes of sexual molestation do come up, which I know can be very triggering for many people. So in case that's you, you may want to sit out this podcast from this point because I'm about to play a snippet bit of the story that also has a bit of that in it yeah so you might want to just hit pause on the story and come back at a point where you feel strong enough to be able to listen so we got to my lawyer's office and he tells me it's going to be very difficult but it's gotten dirty so he gives me a bunch of papers to read and my heart just sank he now claims that uh my son had been sexually molesting the sister. Policemen came to the school and they said they're here to pick up your son for questioning. My ex personally came with the cops in his car, so they were not even in a cop's car. And the school tells me, I'm sorry, but you have to come to school right now because the cops are here and they have an arrest warrant and they say they're not leaving without him. He says, uh, okay, put them in the cell. So this time they put us like in the holding cell. So it's myself, my son, and like three other men inside there. But I'm just holding my son's hand. I'm just trying to comfort him and tell him it's going to be okay. That is part two of Valentine's story, which was coming up a little later on 100 African stories in this episode. But before we get there, I do hope you're having a peaceful, graceful day week whenever it is that you're listening to this and just hanging in there in case you're battling some stuff and before we jump into the story and the song of the week what I do want to touch on is just like some business growth I'm experiencing I feel like I am close to teenagehood in business (laughs) like growing up you know what I mean I want to touch on something that has really fueled a lot of my doubts when it comes to my business decisions and that's walking away when you know a deal isn't serving you it's very hard to walk away from these deals you know you (laughs) it's hard also because it's just like am i making the right decision am i thinking too much of myself but anyway i'm getting ahead of myself let me break it down for you so in the last couple of of months i've had to walk away from potential partnerships just because the terms weren't right or it just didn't feel like I was getting an efficient business partnership. Efficient in that I would not be running on a loss, (laughs) you know? So the first one has got to be that stung. A few months ago, there's this international company that had reached out. They're doing a documentary and it was a global documentary and they wanted me to host the African leg of it. I was like, this is fantastic that they even know my name (laughs) and that I exist. Wow. 
And I went about like, you know, having calls with them and then uh, giving them my rate, which they tried to negotiate me down. Obviously, you give a bit of a discount, but their rates were so much more. They were really low. They were really, really low. It just wasn't feasible. It just didn't make any sense to do that job because the terms just, again, didn't make sense on my end business wise. So I had to walk away from from that job. And I remember feeling so so disheartened about it and like the week after I was just like maybe I need to review my rates maybe I need to like bring them a bit lower but I think one thing that's helped me kabisa like have tons of confidence when it comes to my rates is that I cost everything every little or big thing that contributes to me doing my job and doing my job well is written down as a cost which contributes heavily to what my rates are so you know, when I'm having those doubts, I just have to go back to that and be like, hey, sis, <laughs> hey, 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 <laughs> can we get back to track? But yeah, that one really stung. Ugh. And even now, just talking about it, I'm just like, maybe I could have handled it better. But no, I think I, whatever, that's doubt. Second one is a local company. I feel like what I did with this one is at the beginning, I could feel like I wasn't meant to be in that partnership. But there's this thing in business you do where you're like, oh my God, this is going to take care of whatever costs I have for the next three, four months. So, hey, just do it. But I, if I really go back to the beginning, internally, I just, I was not feeling like there was a, like a fluid connection between myself and the brand. But hey, <laughs> it's business. There's no time for feelings of fluidity and stuff. But the this one didn't work out because the contract terms were absolutely terrible and i'm glad it didn't because the rates that i had negotiated when i went back to my books it would be very close to me running on a loss so the universe just did me a solid they gave me a terrible contract and i had to walk away from it this one I bring up because quite a few people didn't walk away from from that partnership and it can make you like question whether you are running things right, whether you're not in sync with the market, you're not in sync with how Kenya is running its stuff. But yeah, that's the second one. And that's the doubt that came with it. The third and final one happened last week. I got a call from this agency they had a client and they were like yo we're looking for like three to four month partnership which is fantastic it's in line with my goals for this year which was like I'm really looking for more long-term partnerships more long-term advertisers stuff like that and I was like yeah oh my god this is so great sent my rate card everything to which they agreed to like most of the stuff on my rate card but then this thing called agency fee popped up and, you know, they sent me, when, when I sent my rate card, they had agreed to it. And then they sent me like a breakdown of all the costs and stuff and what they would be paying me based on their client's budget, right? Remember, this is the go-between, the agency. And so when I'm adding, I remember when they sent that email, I was out on a shoot. So I, I was like reading the numbers really quickly, but I was like, eh, these numbers don't add up. But then again, I'm really not bad with numbers, but I, I require more time than the average person when it comes to math and adding up things, which is not bad. It means I'm very focused when it comes to numbers. So I was like, oh, I'll just give it more attention. Maybe it's me not really adding up things right. 
when I came back home, I'm like, eee, like a huge significant amount is missing from this total. Where the heck is that amount? <laughs> Where is it? Because numbers have to balance. When I read the fine print, there was something like an agency fee, which is where this amount had gone to, which doesn't make sense because I'm not your client. Why am I being charged an agency fee? What the hell is this? It, it felt a lot like a like you're trying to clean up kickbacks. You know what I mean? Because like, <laughs> like, why are you charging me an agency fee? It really doesn't make any logical sense. And so I responded in an email asking about that because I was like, hey, maybe there's something I'm not understanding. And I was just like, hey, I don't understand why I'm getting charged this when I'm not your client. Needless to say, I did not get that job. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. But I have to say it felt good walking away knowing that like I was standing for something. But then the doubt comes when you're like, You know, when I do a breakdown for all the business that I do and for this podcast and for myself, I have very clear values. And one of them can really be rounded off to like just wanting to do business in an ethical manner, which is so hard in not to shit on us. It's so hard in Nairobi. It's so hard. These, and, and this is something that I've experienced even before I left traditional radio to do my own thing, where you'll be part of a campaign and because you're not paying kickbacks your payment gets delayed or something oh you actually just don't even get the job oh my god that has happened before i forgot about that guy (laughs) yeah and it's just like i'm here to do a job you're here to do a job what what is all this shenanigans happening and Sometimes it makes you doubt, like, am I the foolish one wanting to run a business ethically? But even when those doubts come, so like after this last encounter last week, literally the next day, I got three calls for potential business partnerships that that respects my business values, you know, which is great. But at the back of my head, I'm just like, it's so irritating to have to defend wanting to do business the right way or the ethical way i just needed to vent about that and then the other last thing i will say about this is it's so funny this business journey you do not have the time to mope about when you lose business or a partnership isn't um, seen to fruition there's no time to like sit down and be like oh my god i really wanted to work with that company what is happening there's no time because like you're for me I was working on reports for one client, doing production for another. And like, you kind of have to just keep moving, which is great because, you know, you don't want to sit in misery. But it also means like, even for like your wins, you don't have time to be like, oh my God, I did that. Because it's just like, hey, did you send so and so the report? Oh my goodness, I have not. So (laughs) it's just interesting, a very interesting space I'm in business-wise because it's the most conscious I've been about my business in, in years. It's probably the first time I've willingly allowed the words business and entrepreneur in my space just because mine doesn't look like what traditional businesses do. So you kind of like shit on it because of that. But I'm working on that. (laughs) So I just want to 
always share where I'm at, especially with that journey. All right. I don't know why I sang that. Let's jump into the song of the week, which is really dear to me because I randomly re-stumbled on the song. It's very old. It's so dear because it's my sister Amanda who introduced it to me. She really introduced me to so much music. She introduced me to a lot of hip hop, surprisingly. I remember she also introduced me to like Ludacris. (laughs) If you know Amanda, you can understand how... (laughs) (laughs) shocking that would be when we were younger she would listen to like different genres of music i was like stuck on my erica badu's bob Marley. who else was i listening to at the time yeah well that type of music she was listening to like hip-hop r&b rock a lot of rock especially the rock i'd just be like that sounds like noise turn it off but she introduced me to this particular song And then I randomly on YouTube heard it and I felt like I was 15 years old again and my big sister is introducing me to music. And it was just so wonderful that I was like, I I just need to share this song with you. It's by Nelly Furtado from Back in the Day. The name of the song is Powerless. And I also really love the lyrics. I feel like the lyrics are quite poetic. (sighs) Yeah, I really actually do love the lyrics and the harmony towards the end. Oh, it's so awesome. So the name of the song is Powerless. I have put a link to it in the show notes. If your platform, the platform you're listening to this on, doesn't show you the show notes, just search for Nelly Furtado, Powerless, and enjoy. Okay, let's jump into part two of Valentine's Story on 100 African Stories. Obviously, remember part one is in episode 118. You may want to listen to that first if you haven't, because then you'll just be floating through this part two. (laughs) And essentially, the story is really about the extent to which her ex-husband went to frustrate her quest to get a divorce from him and just how much he hated her son. I'm going to repeat this again. They are themes around sexual molestation that come up which could be triggering to some. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. And then I filed for a divorce and I filed for custody and I thought it was going to be a normal process. The first hearing uh, when we went to court for the custody proceeding, we are in court and so I'm there with my lawyer and he's there with his lawyer at that time. I've left the ki- the kids with my with the nanny and my folks are there as well with me in court. As we're in court, then his lawyer stands up and um, and says uh, they filed some papers and they wanted the magistrate to make a ruling. It's an urgent application. It's in the best interest of the children. The children are, are in danger something so i'm getting confused i'm like what's happening and so my advocate then says they've just received the papers that morning and he says they would need time to to review and to consult and so the magistrate declines to give the orders because they were asking for the kids to be separated and i didn't understand why at that point so the magistrate says no the kids remain with the mom he was granted access to see his his daughter in in school and then we were told to come back on a later date so when we're leaving the courtroom my lawyer asks me where are the kids so i said they are at home with who and i say with the nanny 
And he says, you need to tell your mom to go home to the kids as quickly as possible. And I'm like, what's happening? He's like, first tell your mom to go home to the kids and then we'll talk. So I tell, I get a cab and I, I tell uh, my mom, you guys go home to the kids and call me when you get there and tell me if they're fine. My mom goes. So we go to my lawyer's office and he hand, and he tells me this is going to be very difficult but it's gotten dirty so he gives me a bunch of papers to read and my heart just sank so i read the papers and uh, they filed in court and the reason for asking the kids to be separated is that he now claims that uh, my son had been sexually molesting the sister as proof or as evidence he has attached an affidavit from the nanny so this nanny had been with us from when the baby was like a year old by then she was four and the nanny is saying that this happened when the baby was between a year and two years old and that uh, he would touch her inappropriately with his fingers and so this if it happened between a year to two years this is like two years later and so my first thing is like what where how you know when I was so, you know, confused. So that's when my lawyer just looks at me and he tells me, I'm sorry, but um, he must have gotten advice, so to speak, that for a mother to be denied custody, it's only when she's declared unfit by the court. And the grounds for being declared unfit are you're either like very heavily into drugs or a heavy alcoholic, like you can't take care of your children, you know, or if your home is declared unsafe or unfit. And how could, could a home be declared unsafe if there's violence or if there's sexual molestation? So they had gone for the biggest, biggest one, so to speak. So my mom got home. She found the nanny with the kids and she just called me to be know the kids are fine. Then she kept asking me, what's the problem? What's the problem? I told her, no, I'll come and I'll explain. Um, so the lawyer tells me, no, we'll just do our response. We, if that's a child, I'm a pediatrician you have the hospital records etc because if a child was 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 being molested and especially at that age it would be picked up during the especially given she's still getting immunizations and stuff if it's a child who regularly sees a pediatrician uh, especially uh, or goes to the hospital for checkups it would be picked up um she had also started school and so was like also check with the school because also the school if your child is in a proper kindergarten she was in a Montessori school those are things that they are trained to pick up on you know and so we started the journey and so at that point again I thought this is just like a, a reaction to the divorce and to me leaving you know and that it would blow over I didn't think it would go to the extent to which it ended up doing so we filed our responses I attached all the medical records the pediatrician wrote, wrote a letter and said i've been examining this child and there's nothing to that effect and all that so we felt it and um, that was around march of 2019 and uh, and i thought okay this will blow over at some point and so i sent my son back to school i never told i never told him uh, what was happening of course i let the nanny go I took her back to the bureau where I'd gotten her from. I explained to the guy who runs the bureau, this is what has happened. This is what she has claimed. And under the circumstances, then I can no longer work with her. But I paid her all her dues, including leave days, releasing her without notice, without notice period, and all the stuff that the Kenyan law dictates. So I did all that and uh, and, and thought, okay, let's, let's start afresh. A few, around May of, of that year, uh, my son is back in school and I had uh, then been granted access by the court to go back to 
our uh, the home we had so that I could pick up our personal belongings. We'd left without our clothes, books, everything. We'd left everything there. So the court had said the rest of the property would be divided post the divorce, but then I could be allowed access to pick up my clothes, my kids' clothes and toys and stuff like that. So when there was on a Saturday, went with a few of my friends and a cousin of mine, we picked up the stuff. I found all the stuff packed up and then like all my books and I'm an avid reader. There was like three boxes of books and they had all been soaked in water. Essentially all destroyed. Uh, my son's stuff, you'd find one item and not the other. Like for example, the PS didn't have the cable, didn't have the controllers. You'd find one shoe and not the other one. So just very, the only things that we found intact were like my baby's stuff. So finished uh, picking up my stuff and I go back home and I'm seated at home and um, for some weird reason being a Saturday I I try as much as possible not to check my work mail on Saturday on weekends so I pick up my phone and I go to my email and I find an email from the school and uh, the school has written uh, hi uh, we are really trying to reach you please call us back as soon as you can so I look at my phone and there's no missed calls then it hit me they must have been trying to reach me on my older number. So what happened is post the divorce, I then stopped using the number that I used to have. And um, and so I quickly called the administrator back and I'm like, what's it? Is my son safe? Is he okay? And they're like, no, 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 he's fine. He's even gone for a school trip, but you need to come to school for a meeting. So I said, okay. So I thought maybe because with all that was happening, maybe he was having troubles coping or adjusting. So I said, okay, fine, I'll be there. So I was still with my sister-in-law and I asked her to, to drive me to school. So, and I kept asking, can you at least give me a hint so that I prepare? And they told me, no, 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 you come. We'll discuss when you get here. So I get to my son's school and I find the administrator. He calls the head of security and the head of security comes and, um, and he tells me, this is what happened yesterday. Now that being a Friday, some cops came, policemen came to the school and they said they're here to pick up your son for questioning and uh, they said it's because he's been molesting the sister and you've been covering it up so they wanted to take him away but uh, being the cops were from Limuru that's where we used to stay um, his school was in uh, another location um, so uh, because of the way I think the rules of the cops work is that when you go to somebody else's location you must seek their permission to arrest anybody or to enter any other premise in that jurisdiction. So when they went to the other cop station, the OCS of that particular cop station told them that, um, sorry, but uh, this being a minor, we can't allow you access to the school unless you either come with a warrant of arrest or you come with a mother because um, the mother is the one who um, signed her, him up to the school. So by this time, the OCS had called the school and asked this child, he's under whose care? And they said, the mom, they're like, do you know the, the, the dad? Then they say, no, we've never even seen him. He's been in this school for more than two years, but we've never seen him. And he's not even, so they said, but give us time to check the file and everything. So they go, they check the file and they say, he's not even on the file because he, he, never, he never wanted him. So I never put him on any, of the documentation so they say okay um can you guys call them the mom so this is all happening on friday so that's when they were been try 
trying to reach me. And I think these are those things that work by God's miracles because they kept trying to reach me on the old number which I had switched off. And the lady in the admin office totally forgot where she had written my new number. So so I, they did manage to get me on Friday. So they tell me that they hung around, they hung around apparently from mid-morning to almost the end of the day. And he tells me, you know, being a Friday, these people had really pre-planned this because their intention was to pick him up and keep him in their cop station for the whole weekend until Monday. Uh, but they didn't manage. So he told me that's what happened. And then he said, the OCS of the station said that when you come, you need to go and see her so that she also explains to you in detail exactly what they said and what they wanted. So I go to the cop, the cop station of that area where my son's school was and uh, she gives me, um, uh, and I don't find the OCS, but I find another lady, but she tells me this is the number, you can call her. She had gone on an official function, but you can call her. So I call her and she explains to me. She tells me that my ex personally came with the cops in his car, with the cops in his car. So they were not even in a cop's car. And they explained that story. And so she did the checks that she did in the school. And then she told them that uh, that uh, having checked the school and found out that the, he's not listed in the school even as a parent, that he she cannot compel the school to release him and so she that's when she told them you look for the mom if the mom comes then we can go to the school but she says but even then we would be releasing the boy to the mom because you people don't have an arrest warrant so that was it and, and she told me that you need now to go to Limuru to that particular police station there and hear from them because she, I, she told me have you ever heard of this before and I told her I've never heard of it from the cops. I only heard of it a few weeks ago from the court papers, but I never thought it was that I was serious about this thing. I just thought he's making wild allegations and we would clear it up. And since we had given our responses, we were waiting for the court date. So I never thought it would come to this. After that, I went to, with my sister-in-law again, we went to, to Limuru. So I passed through the office. I got copies of all the court documents and everything so that in case they needed to see, they, I would have them. So we get to this cop station and they were like, it's like they had been waiting for me. I walked into that deputy OCS's office and he just tore in to me and he's like ah women do let mama to me so translate to english it means like ah you you're the mom of that boy who's been molesting the daughter and you've been protecting him and not wanting to do anything about it and i'm like hey hold up um nothing like that has happened and there's like no 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 no. you've been protecting him you've been protecting him you've been shielding him how can these things happen and you don't report and he's like that is an offense i told him no okay hear me out this is my side of the story. So I attempt to like give a rundown of it. And then he says, no, we want you to bring the kids here on Monday to this police station for a medical check. So I said, okay, um, that's okay. But please give me like a documentation that says, why am I bringing the children? Who am I bringing the children to? What is going to be done? What is this medical exam? The guy flipped the deputy OCS. He told me this is obstruction of justice. You cannot question a policeman. And in the blink of an eye, I had been thrown into the cell. Not even what they call the holding cell. Like the real, real cell inside the police station. My phone has been taken away. And they said, yeah, since you refuse to bring the kids and you're obstructing justice, you're going to stay there. 
until we can take you to court on Monday. So the good thing is that all this time I had been with my with my sister-in-law. So when she saw what had happened, this time it's like 6 p.m. on a Saturday. Just started making phone calls and uh, we just through calling so many people, uh, someone managed to tell us what the name of the OCPD of that division was and uh, somebody else managed to get the number and so she was called and she was explained to and she came and then she asked what had happened and the explanation was given and she said okay let her be released on bail of 10,000 but she also said the same thing that I bring the kids for a medical exam on Monday so we paid the the bail and I was released at about 10 p.m at night so after I was released went to meet up with uh, my lawyer the following day. Uh, of course, he'd been called by that point and he'd been explained to what's been happening. And so uh, he said the best thing is to go to the court in that particular location and file for and like file under certificate of urgency for the for the court to, to rule on what should be done next, whether the kids should be brought in to that, um, to do the medical exam or what should be done. So we did that uh, on that Monday. So I didn't um, go with the kids on that Monday. The magistrate we found in that court was very active very fast. He managed to, to give orders that we all appear on a certain uh, day, very um, I think a few days after that. And then we started the process of the court process. I was given uh, a whole interim order not to pro not to go ahead with the medical exam at the police station. So after hearing to both sides and the cops, the court made a ruling that the kids should be reviewed by an independent panel of doctors through the Kenya Medical Board. And then we were supposed to follow that process. So that's what we did went to the Kenya Medical Board. They appointed some doctors. The kids were examined. So physical examinations. They also did like a whole psychological, psychiatric, psychiatric evaluation. So both of them together, where I think they assess how do the kids relate to each other and then each of them separately to see whether any of them is lying or any of them has been coached into anything. And then the reports were, were submitted. So we went through that whole process. It took about two months, three, yeah, about two months. We started in May and into June. And then at the end of it, so I didn't attend any of the, like, the psychological evaluations. I only took the kids for the physical examinations because they were staying with me. But again, I had no access to the reports because they were to be filed uh, with the court and with the medical board. So we did that whole process. And again, I thought, okay, this is it. Meanwhile, on this other side, in the children's courts they still kept trying to bring up the same issue over and over and the court would just be like you know we are dealing with custody here if that other matter is being dealt with in another court um, let it proceed if anything comes out of it then you can bring in that um, report or that evidence here so in july 2019 i'm sitting in my office and uh I get a call from my lawyer and he tells me, okay, we've gotten a notice of appeal that they filed in the high court in Kiambu. So Limuru was a lower court, so in Kiambu. And they've managed to get stay orders, which means that the orders of the lower court don't hold anymore. And so he told me what this means essentially is at any point, they can come after your son again. So I was like, okay, so what does this mean? He said, uh, essentially you need to 
notify the school, just do what you can do to make to make sure that at least you're present if it comes to that, you know. So that's what I did. Uh, and at that point, I actually asked for, for permission to go and talk to him. So I talked to him. Earlier on, when I was taking them for the medical exams, I had to explain to him why they were being done. So he, he told me he's not surprised. And I asked him, why would you say that? He told me, but he hates me. So I'm not surprised that he would do this. So... During that time, about a few days after we got the appeal documents, I had been talking to some few people and someone just told me, you know, go to the, the DCI headquarters. So that's the Directorate of Criminal Investigations headquarters um, in Kiambu and just talk to them because at the end of the day, all criminal matters fall under them and just explain what's going on and the frustration you're having with the cops at, at Limuru and how this whole thing is turning out. Um, so I went and I I talked to officers there and they referred me to Kiambu to, to see the head of criminal investigations there and again presented all the paperwork and everything and he called the other police station in Limuru and he had a conversation with the cops there and at the end of the day he it emerged that one I had never recorded a statement because even when I was thrown into the cell they never recorded my statement they never listened to my side of the story so he said and they asked whether the boy's statement my son's statement had been recorded they said no it hadn't been recorded either and they asked whether my mom statement had been recorded because in their paperwork they claimed that the nanny had told my mom about it and my mom had told her to keep quiet about it so of course she was implicated and so she also had to record a statement so he told me okay um, as a first step because I've talked to them you need to go and you need to go with your son and with your mom and you guys record your side of the statement so that the file is complete and then we can review the file when it's complete so that's what we did so picked up my kids from school again, both of them, went to the police station, I recorded my statement, my son recorded his, his statement. When we finished, they said that um, the reason why they wanted the baby is because they wanted to record her statement. She was four. So I asked them, how do you record a statement of a four-year-old? They said, no, they have children officers who help with that. So I called the senior DCI officer who had told us to go. He said... He didn't know exactly how they intend to go about it, but he told me, anyway, since we are there to cooperate, just see, so long as it's children's officer, then um, see how it's being done. As long as it's safe, you can proceed. Then when we finish, they bring a police car, and they're like, we need to go to the district hospital next door. And I'm like, why are we going to the hospital? And they say, no, we've decided that um, we're not going to record a statement for your baby because she's small but we're going to do a medical exam on her. So it had fallen back to that same medical exam. So I I say I can't, I'm not consented to it. And before we do the medical exam, can I have my the pediatrician present so that he can also ensure that what they're doing is safe. He can also be there. Kind of like the way in, um, and by that time, of course, I'd been consulting with the lawyer and they said, yeah, in the Children's Act, yeah, it's allowed for you to have your independent doctor. Just the same way, like if a postmortem is being done there's a government pathologist who does it but you can have your independent doctor there so i kept trying to tell them no you have to give me like 30 minutes for the pediatrician to arrive and they flatly refused and they're like we're doing it now so get into the district hospital and they said after all we don't even need your consent because the father has already consented so when i came out is when i realized all this time when we were recording our statement they had called him so he was hanging around there so now we are at the district hospital 
and we are all there. These two doctors, one was a guy, one was a lady, no name tags, no documentation showing they actually work in that hospital. Come in, we are shown into some room and they tell uh, uh, me to undress the baby. So I undress her. Of course, by this time, they've threatened me again with throwing me in with obstruction of justice, ETC. And they do this medical exam. So like the, you know, the way you do like an ENT check where you check the eyes, you check the nose, you check the ears, they felt around the throat. Then the lady doctor takes her phone. So the touch of the phone is what she uses to look inside my daughter's vagina. And so I'm looking, I'm wondering, what medical exam is this? I mean, being a woman, I've done pap smears. I've, you know, I've gone for gynecological checkups. I was trying to rack my brain, like, how do you check inside the vagina using the phone or, you know, the, the, the torch, the flashlights of the phone? But at that point, I was like, I don't want to antagonize these people. Let me just keep quiet. So she checked. Then I could hear her whispering and she was saying but the hymen is intact then i'm like oh can you tell hymen is intact by looking with the flashlight i was like okay and then they say okay dress her up and then they sat and wrote some reports so when they wrote the reports then i asked them okay can i get a copy of what you've written and the cop again started very being very defensive and he's like um uh, we'll give it to you when it's ready and then the two doctors the cop and my ex all go into a corner and it's like they are walking together and they are whispering and so i'm like this is a bit odd if we are all equal in this conversation why am i being treated so awkwardly and them it's like they are pals and it's like they know each other long short of it i follow them to the we, we all go back to the police station and i insist i need to get a copy of that report and uh, finally they give me a copy and they've written that um her vagina is red and so I look and I'm like, okay, you're alleging molestation that happened two years ago, but you're writing a report today that says the vagina is red. Anyway, I said, I'm not the medical doctor, so I just took it. I booked an appointment with a pediatrician for the next day and I went and I showed it to him. And he just told me, okay, this of course is one of those things that is done maybe to support a certain claim, but um, you let's wait and see where it will go. So after that, they filed some additional papers using now that report. And then he also went to like a, one of the private hospitals where we'd been like two or three times when we'd not been able to see the pediatrician. And in all of those all of those ones she had been um, diagnosed with a throat infection and then one of them was a UTI and so they attached the results of the time she had been diagnosed with a UTI and say that the UTI was caused by the sexual molestation so again uh, we just respond and I attach all the previous records that showed she had been treated for a throat infection two times before that. So she was on antibiotics. So the antibiotics reacted without she got a UTI. We went back and she was given um, medication to now clear um, the UTI. Then after that, um, I get, I am told by the Kiambu office that they will review the file and that they will come back to me. So after some time, I get a response that the file has been reviewed and that it would not be proceeding any further. So I'm happy I explained to my son and uh, we think that it's over. Then a few weeks later, again, I'm at work and I got a call. This time it's from the school. And the school tells me, I'm sorry, but you have to come to school right now because the cops are here. This time they tell me everything. They tell me the cops are here 
and they have a, an arrest warrant and they've said they're not leaving without him. But we've told them that uh, we can only release him when you're present. But they're saying if you don't get here within under an hour, then they have no option but to go with him. So I just pick up my phone and I ask my colleague. By that time, I'm in tears, I'm shaking, and I tell my colleague, please just um, drive me. Um, so she drives me all the way. It takes us about 40 minutes to get there. And we get there, and for sure, outside the, the gate, there was a police car. So we get in um, to the principal's office. She explains to me and she tells me uh, we really put our foot down because we couldn't just release your son. Again, a Friday. And uh, so I talk and she calls in the policeman, says maybe explain to the mom, show her the documents you have. So he shows me he has an arrest warrant and I take a picture of it. I send it uh, to my lawyer and then he tells me, yeah, we have to go with him. So I was like, okay, I don't want to traumatize him. Can you allow me to be the one to get him from class and to just tell him we are going somewhere with him? And then if you can allow, at least we get outside the gate before uh, we get into your car. So he says, actually, uh, we understand he's a minor and even for us, we don't want to to hurt him. So we will even allow you to just come with the car that you've come with since you have a car. Just drive out. Then we follow each other all the way to the police station. So that's what we do. So my colleague, who's also my friend, myself and my son, we get into our car and we drive and uh, we, we get to the cop station. Again, when we get there, he's already he's already there. So he's waiting. Um, so of course, he's been told that um, uh, he's been taken there. Um, so we get there, uh, find the same nasty cop that we'd found the other time. And then he says, yeah, I told you I would, I would end up finding you. How long did you think you would, you would hide? He says, uh, okay, put them in the cell. So this time they put it, they put us like in the holding cell. So it's myself, my son, and like three other men um, inside there. Um, so first of all, I look and I'm like, again, I'm the only lady. This is a minor. We are in a cell with like three men. Uh, but I'm just holding my son's hand. I'm just trying to comfort him and tell him it's going to be okay. Um, so by this time, of course, my lawyer is running around. I have tried to see whether he can get a court in session so that he can post bail. Uh, because again, being a Friday, if you don't manage to get out by then, then it means again the whole weekend. He's also trying to ask what's the charge against me, and they can't provide like the paperwork to support what are they charging me with. The cop just keeps saying she obstructed justice, she obstructed justice. So finally, I think when he really pestered him, another cop comes, he opens, and he tells me to get out. So I say, no, I can't leave my son in there. And he says, no, you know, we don't have any paperwork for you, so we can't keep you in a cell. Um, so I said, no, I can't leave him. And they said, now if you refuse to come out, we will keep you there because you've refused to come out. So I quickly pray, and then I'm like, you know, maybe it's better to be to get out so that I can also coordinate and see how we can help him. Um, so I just told him, but can you then put him somewhere where he's not with these uh, older men? And he says, okay. So he opens an arc, a small dingy room there uh, that looked like a filing room or a cabinet room or something and puts him there. So I get out. And by this time, my whole family is there. And my lawyer by that time had gone to the court. He managed to find a magistrate who was sitting and he got an order because according again, according to the Children's Act, minors should not be held overnight unless um, totally unavoidable. So the magistrate says the child needs to be presented in court so that she can 
determine whether bail uh, can be set for him. So he comes back with that court order and it's about 3.45 p.m. So it had been written, needs to be brought to court by by end of day. So they, they dilly-dally and then at about 4.15 they say it's officially the end of the day for police stations and for courts so we can't release him. So my lawyer take, goes back to the court and tells the magistrate this is what has happened. And the, the magistrate uh, issues another one that says he needs to be brought back whichever time within the course of that evening. So he comes back with it and pesters them. And then finally they get him out, but they fingerprinted him and then recorded that he's been booked for, for the offense of sexual molestation. And then we live in a police car. So we live in a police car, we go to the court and then she hears us out and uh, he had exams that were starting the following week on Monday and so she made a decision to release him um, so that he could sit for his exams and we were told to report back in a week after he finishes his exams for now a proper hearing date ETC to be set up so again the hand of God I'm, I'm, I'm religious I, I pray my family had been praying about it and we just kept seeing miracles every time because again a Friday night Again, almost 8 p.m. is when we were leaving the courtroom. So we left, we came home. Again, I explained to him, just reassuring him, telling him we're going to fight it. We're going to do the best that we can to get him out, out of it. Um, and how sorry I was for having put him under the same to live life with someone who had now was trying to destroy his life. So after that, it became very clear that um, there was something that was happening between him and those cops there. Because despite the file, the file having been reviewed by a higher police jurisdiction, ETC, it, um, they somehow found a way to charge him. And sure enough, by Monday, they had availed that charge sheet now to the children's court. And again, had asked, was asking the magistrate in the children's court to separate the children because uh, under law, once the child has, once someone has been charged with a, with a crime, then it meant that it was enough to separate the children and to declare my home unfit. Um, so they had filed that. But with the way, sometimes that's when you're kind of grateful for the way things may be turned slowly within our court system. Because um, when they filed the, the paperwork, of course, we, we have to be served with a copy of it. So came to know about it and that really just triggered me into thinking what next what do I do and then consulting with again a few other people a few other lawyers and someone said you know the decision to charge someone with a criminal offense in this country lies with the ODPP the office of the public prosecutor the DPP's office and so the director of public prosecution and so say that is the ultimate office so if you can go seek audience in that office and tell them what's been happening then they can review this case and decide yes it has merit and go on with it or decide to withdraw it and so I was advised to go to the Nairobi office because the Kiambu prosecutor is uh, the one in Limuru was part of this group that had done the warrant of arrest and drawn up the charges. So if I went back to that office, I wouldn't probably get help. So I went to the Nairobi office. There are truly government officers and government offices that work and work in this country and work well and work for people. I went in and I stated my, my issue and I was directed. They have a children's department and I was directed to the children's department, put in my case 
I was asked to bring in all the documentation from when this thing started and how it's been mutating. And I was interviewed and I was cross-examined and asked so many questions almost the whole day. And then I was told, okay, um, leave the file with us and then we'll come back to you. So on Monday... Now, that Monday they were coming back to me was the Monday we were to go back to the court in Limuru for my son's bail to be reviewed. So I waited the whole weekend. I didn't hear anything. Then on Monday, I, I, we just went with my lawyer and with my son. And then when we were there, the head of the children's department that had met, she comes. And uh, so she sees us and she says, OK, we've reviewed the file and we'd like to address, uh, we'd like to um, to be present in court. And she doesn't say why. So we get into, into into court and when the magistrate hears that it's about the my son's case she says this being a minor we are not going to do it in open court so we withdraw to her chambers and then the head of the children's department from the deputy public prosecutor's offices they've reviewed the file they have they see no cause to proceed with it the charges cannot stand and they give the legal reasons why and at that point the charges are withdrawn and we and my son is told he's free to leave and just that's how it ended that particular phase ended and so we leave the courtroom and we go and we go home and uh, thank God do 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 a little celebration and think it's 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 behind us. Um, he didn't stop there. He went ahead he to sue the DPP's office to say that he was not consulted when the charges were being dropped and it went through the court motions again for almost another year. And um, the last round of um, of the appeals was. Uh, was dismissed early this year and that's when we finally managed to also wind up the the custody issue in the children's court because then we were finally able to provide documentation that shows that those charges couldn't stand by this time of course he's not offering any maintenance or support for his child i've been doing it myself and at that point i just opted to ask the court to not to that i was withdrawing any request for any child support or any maintenance i just wanted peace and um and i would figure it out how to provide for for the little one because at least for my son i've been doing it myself for the last 15 years for her as well because um even over the last three years he he didn't do much he had stopped paying the the half of school the 50 percent of school fees he was supposed to pay he had stopped seeing her in school so i said maybe it's just for the better that um now that it's over, so it's granted custody. Yeah, we are now healing. Uh, we've gone through a lot of family counseling and individual counseling, especially for even for the baby, uh, because she she she's quite intelligent and she would ask questions like, "Why was another doctor asking her to open up her legs? What were they checking for?" Of course, she has questions about why did we leave our home um, and stuff like that. Um, and then she 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 now even her she says some things she remembers that and she'll say yeah but uh yeah dad never liked my brother you know she she makes comments like those um so we had to do counseling for her as well but a lot of it for my son especially so that he can move on with his life he can stop living in fear and stop looking over his shoulder so that he can focus on his studies as well and um eventually um, in his own time, he can choose um, how and whether to forgive. Yeah, and not let not let him um, like ruin his life. And um, because if he gets depressed or if if he doesn't excel or he doesn't do the things he likes doing, then this guy will have won.
catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. So first, I just have to keep thanking Valentine for just being so open and vulnerable with us. I I can't even begin to imagine what going through that for years must have been like. My heart goes out to her kids, although it is good that they're all in group and individual therapy. That's something that is so needed and like your healing has got to be intentional. Yeah, my heart just, there's really not much to say other than just my heart going out to Valentine and her kids. That, I'm a grown-up and I do not even know how I would navigate that. So what about toddlers and a child? Must be must be quite quite a struggle to navigate. So Valentine actually did fill out the Legally Clueless storytelling form and that's how we connected and I got to record her story. So if you want to share your story as well, just check out the show notes. There is a link to a Google form. You just fill it in and I will get back to you. That's for you who wants to share a story on the podcast. Recordings are done virtually for now because of this panoramic pancake, whatever you call it, we're in, which is great. It means that wherever you are in the world, you can actually share your story on this podcast. So yeah, go to that Google form and fill it out. I also must say a big thank you for all the kind voice notes I receive on the Legally Clueless hotline. Honestly, this particular one I listened to right before beginning to record this episode and I was feeling like, do people care about this podcast? Like, is it getting monotonous? Why am I even doing this? You know, the, that, that self-doubt is crazy, right? And I was feeling it. And so even hitting play on this particular message was hard. I was like, what if they say something like they hate the podcast because they don't like a particular thing and I'm really trying my best. (laughs) And then I I hit play and it was it was so sweet. Hi Adele, my name is Graham Osmwendwa. I'm a stout listener (laughs) of Legally Clueless podcast. And uh, 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 (laughs) the stories are really interesting. All my travels, um let me say like um I think last week. Last week I was traveling. I've been traveling around and Every time um, Legally Clueless has been playing in my ears to a point whereby even um, when I hear of a joke, <laughs> me, I would, I would just laugh out myself out. Someone just next to me would be like, hey, Connie, what is this guy like doing? And then the worst thing is I have these wireless earphones. So someone will be like, by the way, what is this guy listening to? And then my phone is normally maybe in my pocket or in my bag. So I'm listening to the podcast wirelessly. Let me tell you, I tell your stories, not, not really your stories, but your platform has really strengthened me in some of the ways that I didn't even imagine. Um, an example is when I was listening to episode 110. Um, by Michael, this guy who was in SA, our father's roommate or whatever, whatever, his friend. Yes. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It really, it really made me get back to track, um, especially mentally. Some sense of also motivation. Ah, the best story. Okay, not really the best, but the one that made me even not realize that Really, we've been driving for two hours. Was it even two hours? I think, I don't know how long it was. It was your sister's birth story. Ah. 
you know, I was all I, I was laughing because there's a time your sister was laughing and I'm like, you know what? Me, it's as if I'm just listening to Adele. Like, yo, can you, can't you just hear from the laugh? This is Adele now. <laughs> also in my 20s right now, I'm currently based in Narrow County. Yes, that is, yes, yes, yes. That is how remote it is. <laughs> that is how we get to listen to your podcast. So thank you. Thank you so much, Gray. Your energy is absolutely amazing. And love to you all the way in Narok, which of course is in, in Kenya. And I've been to Narok once before, actually, and absolutely enjoyed very few days, but I enjoyed my stay there and the work that we were doing. Hopefully, I will come back to Narok fingers crossed right so thank you so much for listening to this episode to the very end remember audio episodes go out on your favorite podcast streaming platforms every monday morning and our video series well season one of it is almost wrapping up actually on our youtube channel so make sure you check that out new episodes there go out on friday mornings this podcast also plays on trace radio in kenya so you can listen to the episodes every monday and wednesday at 12 noon and 7 p.m and every friday at 12 noon head over to traceradio.co.ke for a list of the frequencies yani how you can catch the podcast <laughs> wherever you are in kenya and also when you're on that website you can stream trace there that's it for this episode of legally clueless you can share this podcast with your friends you can keep it for yourself i'm not judging just make sure you're here next week for the next episode